0: Okay, this is the third, and I believe, final week that I'm going to share with you about offense. Now, is anybody offended that I've done that three weeks in a row? That's great. Were you here the other No, yes, you were. <laughs> That's right, I was. That's a little private thing going between me and Shana. I got in trouble for my wardrobe last week. Uh, but she got deliverance, so it was working out. In case you guys don't know, the Lord uh, showed great favor for Shana. And uh, there was some ministry that went on, and more than a meal jumped in. and uh, But anyway, the Lord is unraveling the complexities of, of her past just like he will yours. And it's all about the future. We're going to talk about that tonight. All right. Thank you, guys. Let's, um, I want to review uh, just for a second, and I, I really do mean just for a few seconds. We looked at David as he was bringing the ark into Jerusalem, and he did it wrong. Uzzah ended up dying. You guys all remember the story, right? We looked also at another segment of that same story in 2 Samuel chapter 6 about Micah, Michael, his wife, Saul's daughter, and how she was offended at David's celebration and, uh, and I suggested last week that I felt like the Lord had kind of shared with me. It was because she was already carrying an offense in her heart that got stirred up because her father lost the kingdom for actually playing the role of a priest. And David put on an ephod and was dancing before the procession as the ark was being carried in. She got offended, and it ended up costing her, her fruitfulness. Then we looked at the people of the city of Nazareth. They received the Lord when he came. He he already had a bit of a reputation for healing and so on. He came there. His reputation preceded him. He spoke words, and they marveled. They marveled. Their reaction was to rise up in their spirit and go, wow, this is amazing. Where does he get such words? Where does he get such power? And then somebody asked the question from a natural point of view, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't his sisters and brothers live here among us? Didn't this kid build a dresser for me? two months ago, or whatever it was. And it says that that led to them being offended, and that offense led to them hating him and trying actually to kill him. Then we looked at another potential offense situation, and it was when John the Baptist was in prison. His death was looming. Considering he was a prophet, he probably had a pretty good idea that was going on. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus the question, are you the one, or... Do we need to wait for another? And I read into that that John was saying, did I waste my life? I'm here. I've given myself to you into into the revelation of who you are. Are you the one? And Jesus answered him, not with words, but with deeds. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He preached the gospel to the poor. He uh, cast out devils. And he told his disciples, go back and show John what you've seen, that the, the, the poor are loved and the kingdom of God is going on. So those are the four instances we looked at about offense The four elements of offense that were pointed out by that or the danger of offense was this. David was willing for the sake of being offended over God's outbreak against Uzzah to abandon the presence of God. So one of the things that offense will cost you is a sense of the presence of God. Michael was offended at David and it cost her fruitfulness. She was barren for the rest of her life. The presence of God is on the chopping block if you're offended. Fruitfulness in your life is on the chopping block if you're offended. The people of Nazareth received a great revelation and they lost it. Revelation is blocked by offense. In John the Baptist... John the Baptist was threatened with being drugged back into the past and losing his future, losing the approval, losing the significance of who he was and what his life had counted for. And he had to ask Jesus, are you the one? And I believe with all my heart that when those disciples came back with that, yes, not in word, but in deed, yes, that John was loosed to face that death and to be celebrated. And certainly Jesus was celebrating him. All right, so <clears throat> that's the basic review. Offense is costly. Do we all agree? All right, now I want to explain to you why I preached about offense at this critical stage in the life of Joyland. Okay, and let me tell you why I didn't. And let me tell you why I will never preach to you something. I will never preach to you to scold you about bad behavior. This is really important that you understand this, and it's really important that you believe me and that you hold me accountable to it. If four or five of you behave badly, I'm not going to take it out on the whole group. I'm not even going to take it out on you. You know what we're going to do? We're going to talk about it, uh, and I'm going to try to get you to see that, and the way I'm going to do it is to get you to look at the Lord. And hopefully, if we have the kind of culture that we want to build, that will not really be necessary. Because the very presence of God is going to bring a father's discipline to a son or daughter, and you're going to go, oh, my gosh. I had an experience where the Lord revealed something that was wrong in my life when we were back in Bethel, and I was going through a Sozo appointment, and it was an area of distrust. And I didn't mean it even be there, but once it was revealed, I was immediately convicted of it, and it was the easiest thing in the world to fix. Because Jesus died to provide all the tools necessary to fix what ails you. Just a quick thought back into the Old Testament and the tabernacle situation. You know what the laver was, right? It was that big brass bowl full of water. The priest, in the course of doing their duty, made themselves unclean in that action. And they had to go periodically back through that process, not to the altar. That's a that was They were sanctified in that. Back, though, to the laver to be cleaned. That's the way we're going to get there. So I didn't preach to you about offense because I think there's a bunch of you that I feel like I've got to walk on eggshells around or others have to walk around. The reason that offense was a topic that I believe the Lord brought up at the foundational level of Joyland, which is where we are, we're trying to establish a culture and the understanding that builds that culture, is because of what offense steals. Think of those things that that we used in those illustrations. The presence of God. Let me tell you something. If we don't learn how to traffic and interact with and host the presence of God, there is no reason for us to be a church. There isn't. That is our single primary purpose. But there are other related purposes to that. So we can't afford to bear offense because we will leave the presence of God somewhere else along the route. The second thing is we can't afford to take an offense and carry it Because we will not be fruitful as a church. And this is another reason that Joyland, well, wait a second. This is another reason that, (laughs) this is something we've got to get in our culture right from the start. And that is that however good it is in church, it isn't good good enough. It's not good enough. Our lives are to be lived out there. That is where you bear fruit. Maybe we can polish fruit in here. Maybe we can admire fruit. Maybe we can even compare fruit, which sometimes will get you in trouble. But you bear fruit out there. That's where, out in the world, where you've got the the ability to lay hands on people, where you've got the ability to love people, where you've got the ability to walk out and touch them. One of the the characteristics of our church is, if we, we are going to measure our success by how much what we live in here gets lived out there. It's really, really important. And we're just laying the foundation for it. And obviously we're not all the way there yet. The other one, and this is the, I'm going to, I'm going to skip ahead. Well, no, I'm going to, I'll, I'll take it the same order I gave them to you. This idea of the people of Nazareth losing the revelation that they have. <laughs> we cannot do that. This is an apostolic, prophetic culture, and what that means is we have to be able to hear the voice of God, and we have to be able to receive what he says and do what he says. Can I say Absolutely. We also have to be accountable
1: to be corrected in that culture so that we get better
0: at it. Absolutely. We're going to look at that in just a bit. We're going to look at And offense, the, the capacity to offend, Or let me put it another way. Giving yourself permission to be offended will keep that stuff from you. And the last thing, Joyland is not the accumulation of your past and my past. There's stuff that's good in our past that shaped us. There's testimonies that emerge from our past. There's lessons we've learned from our past. But I'll tell you what, in an apostolic prophetic culture, it is about the present, future, relationship that you have with god because you know what you're not the accumulation of your past you're not the sum of your past you you know how i know it i know i I know it because i've been saved for how old am i oh i'm 55 tomorrow Uh, so i got saved when i was 14 so what does that make it 40 40 a long time how old are you josh josh is 30 how long have you been saved Nineteen months, so he 's been saved nineteen months i 've been saved how long forty one years. years there is not thirty eight and a half years difference in my usefulness in the kingdom and in josh 's usefulness in the kingdom. right right it 's not about our past it 's not how long we 've been engaged in this it 's where we stand, whether we can hear the voice of the Lord. Do we bear fruit, and can we walk in and live in and carry and release the presence of God? Jesus sent his disciples out, and he said, Go there, and if there's a person of peace there, release your peace on them. What is that? That's the presence of God. Ministry is not not a detached thing. Ministry is also not what we have to give in the way of wisdom. I'm all for wisdom. I hope I'm bringing some wisdom to Josh. But my wisdom or Josh's wisdom isn't going to change lives. The presence of God through Josh or through me or through Chalice, or through you or through anybody in this room is what is going to affect a life change in somebody. And so we are people who cannot live on the laurels or be buried by the failures of our past. What counts is today. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And tomorrow is the opportunity that God is going to speak to us about prophetically tonight. That's how it works. That's how it works. How many of you have ever received a prophetic word, a prophetic word, that focused on your past? Think about it. <laughs> huh? A few, okay? A few. What, what, was, what was the nature of it? A release? Was it? What was it? Oh, okay. So it was a reminder. It was a reminder of what you should be perceived as and of today. I really believe it. I think about it, really. I'm not saying that God can't go back and, 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 and heal you. He won't walk you back through something. All that. that's, that's, that's true. But what I'm really talking about, the voice of the Lord, he doesn't trouble himself with your past. He did deal with your past. He made a provision for your past. Does anybody know the name of that provision? It's Jesus. It's his blood, and it was on the cross. That is what Jesus did to make sure your past was in its right place, providing exactly and no more than what it needed to provide for the future. And that was the testimony of God's love for you and his grace for you so that you could stand as a person who was free to move into the future. See, that's the other issue here. Offense will bind your freedom. And we must be a culture that is free. So let's, res- let's, let's go back, and I want to sow this into our mind. Presence, if you're coming here, you're coming here to encounter the presence of God. Now, you may think you came on a given night for some other reason. And you may just drag in here after a tough day or a tough week of work and think, well, I'm just, I'm, you know, punching the clock. I'm getting to church. I'm doing this or that. Or you may have heard that we're like strange or bizarre. We worship for 12 hours or whatever the case is. And you're just coming going, I just can't believe they're that weird. I've got to go see for myself. There's a million reasons that you can appear to be coming. But I am telling you, the reason you're drawn to this place at this time is because you want an encounter with God. You've read the book of Acts, and you said, Man, that ought to be real someplace. I ought to be able to touch that someplace. That comes through presence, that comes through revelation. That's what leads to fruitfulness. That is what leads us into a culture that is worth building. It's worth protecting. It's worth cultivating. How many of you are awkward with the level of intimacy that we try to have in worship? Please be honest. Just, just give me a quick... I am a little bit. Okay. These are some of the most courageous people in the earth. I, I don't know what it's like. I remember, I remember uh, last year... And I've been worshiping a long time, but I remember last year when in this Bible study we were running, I realized the purpose of this Bible study was to host the presence of the Lord. And, and, and it, I knew it meant something different than what I was used to experiencing. So we gave ourselves to try to do that, and in a given night, last year sometime, came up and lo and behold, he showed up. I felt like an idiot. I felt like... Uh, I was embarrassed. I was shy. I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there kind of kicking the ground. What I told people at the time is I felt like a teenage bride, not really ready for what I was about to go through. I know that some of you feel that way, and I'm here to tell you, that's okay. That's okay, but look at what's happening. You haven't let that feeling keep you away. You haven't let that feeling say, I don't know. I uh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll notch it, I'll dial it back a couple of notches. And I don't want to get into the idea of pointing to one church or another church like that. But there are a lot of assemblies of believing people who don't go to the trouble of trying to press into the presence of God no matter what. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And so there's something to be said for what's going on between the Spirit of God and your spirit that drags you into a place like this. I had a friend, I have a friend named Bill Wall. He'll get up here someday. Bill comes from a Catholic background, but now he's, uh goes on New Life and stuff. And I was inviting him to church. He said, I want to come up. I want to see what you're doing and everything. And then he looked at something and realized we met from 6 to 8.30. And he goes, two and a half hours. And I go, it goes by fast, <laughs> you know. It goes by fast. It doesn't go by fast because we've got a dog and pony show going on here. It goes by fast because there's the presence of the Lord and it it takes time to dance with him. It takes time to enter into that presence now, if you get offended, for instance, about an hour 's worth of worship you 'll miss it we can 't do that, but you can you can offense in any form will cloud your heart it 'll fill it up and it 'll keep you from being sensitive to the presence it'll it 'll cut fruitfulness off from your life and it 'll most especially Knock revelation out of it. Let me, Shalif kind of kind of broached main topic. Turn with me to uh, First Corinthians chapter fourteen. So, do you guys believe that I'm not preaching this because I, I just don't want you to behave badly? I'm not really all that concerned with how you behave. To tell you the truth, I want to know where you are. I want you to get in the presence of the Lord, and He'll take care of your behavior. Because I don't want to be a policeman. I'd rather be a pastor. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Sorry, Shana. All right, let me read something to you here. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know the story with the Corinthian church. They were excelling in the gifts of the Spirit. They had some excesses going on. Paul went in to, to correct those excesses, not to stop them, right, to correct them. They were after the presence of the Lord. They operated the spiritual gifts. They got a little wacky at times. Paul brought some order back to it, and this is what he said. Now, this is the, what you mentioned particularly about being a prophetic culture. What, then is the out, or what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Oh, let's turn there. Because I'm reading about you, and I want you to be there. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble each one, say each one. Each one. All right, I'm each one. Say that, I'm each one. I'm each one. There you go. Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three, and each in turn one must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let's stop there. I know a lot of people who, when they consider spiritual gifts, they have some kind of thought behind it, like they're, like they're like that. Tongues especially, right? Paul is giving instruction as if tongues was, was some normal thing, right? A, a thing that you could exercise control over, a discipline over, that it was a, a tool that you had to use, you know? Like, uh, I don't know, like you were going to go fishing or something, and if the water runs this way, use this bait, and if the water runs this way, use this lure. I mean, it was mechanical a little bit. This is the truth. This is is what we are offered. This is who we are. This is what we're being able to deal with. He's given this kind of instruction, and then he moves on and gives that kind of instruction in this most desirable of all gifts. And he gives instruction in this thing, which is literally one of the foundational elements of the church. The church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. So the prophecy is something that we should all, we're actually all called, if if you dig into the words, we're called to lust after this. It says that all may prophesy. The reason prophets exist is to release grace so that all may prophesy. And we're called to pursue it earnestly, desire it, lust after it. Okay, so every one of us should prophesy. And in this culture, every one of us is in a position, if we build it right, to receive the grace to learn to do it. And I could go into a ton of stories. Prophetic art is really funny kids are downstairs, right? My grandson blessed me at the lift the other night. He said, I want to do some prophetic art, Grandpa. I said, okay. So we got the stuff out and I was doing some painting stuff. And I said, now listen, I don't just, the issue here is not volume. I want you to get something from the Lord. He goes, okay. So he lays down on his side on a pillow and closes his eyes for about a minute. Then he gets up and says, I got one. And he draws one. And then I've made this mistake twice. I said, what is that? And he He was wrong. (laughs) He had no idea what the interpretation was, but he said it. But it was one of the most moving little things. If you get over to the lift, look on the wall. There's some various people's prophetic art up there. Simple little drawings. I mean, you don't have to be an artist. You can use a marker and thing. But he's got all these hearts on a table, and, and there's people sitting on either side of it. And just look at what God is giving the kids and us. See what he's saying. But the point is, that's the fruit of a prophetic culture. And then so he said, I'd like to do another one. I said, okay. So he lays down again like on his side, closes his eyes, then gets up, gives another one. And this other one he gave was incredible. It was two long lines, and it was a staircase between heaven and earth. And it was just freaking me out. It was so cool. But anyway, same thing. God can do it to you. My point is, we prophesy, and there's a million levels to do it. You can do it with art. You can do it by singing a song over somebody. You can do it in very natural language by saying, you know what? I think the Lord said, or you know what? I feel like. This might be important to you, is it? And you can just be as honest and natural as you want. But let's look at what it says. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. (laughs) I've been around Charismatic and Pentecostal churches a long time, and let me tell you what, I've never been in one that operated that way. Not really. Not really. And for those of you that are prophets in our midst, the challenge for you in this is to realize that no matter how experienced, or mature you are in your gifting, in the New Covenant, and this is good news by the way, I'll tell you why in just a second, in the New Covenant, the prophecy that you give is supposed to be judged. You're not supposed to be judged. It is. In the Old Testament, it was different. The prophecy you gave didn't come true. You were supposed to be stoned to death. But lest you think, wow, who wants to be a prophet? It was the same true of people who didn't follow the word of the prophet. They were to be stoned too. The Old Covenant was all about the exacting nature of sin and what it cost us. The New Covenant is different. We don't live in a situation, and we're not trying to build a culture where the Spirit of God comes on some prophet in our midst. And there are prophets in our midst. And we don't view it this way. This is not a New Covenant view of prophecy. Where this person is the prophet, and we all gather around, sit at the feet, and they give their prophecy, and we all go off and do do what we're supposed to do. That's not how it works. In the new covenant, there is a witness designed to be born by what the Spirit inspires that prophet to say and what you identify. So last week we had a a prophet come back. He's visiting us. Ty, are you here tonight? I don't think you are. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about him. He's not here. And I love Ty, and I'll give him the tape. Ty got up and shared something, prophetically. Actually, Shalise did the same thing. I mean, you had a word from the Lord with the keys raining down and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we've had, you know, everybody that's been here for a while knows that people can get up. I'm just waiting for the day when a really humdinger of a prophecy comes out, and they sit down and I go, hey, thanks. Now, what would you think of that? I'll give you a mic. How'd that strike you? How'd you feel about that? This sounds so subjective, but let me tell you why this is critical. This frees us up to be a prophetic culture. We've got to learn to do it, though, without judging the person. We've also got to learn to do it without being offended. Because offense, even if the prophecy is totally right on and describes right to a T what you need to hear from God right now, if you take offense, you'll be just like the people in Nazareth, having the Son of God literally standing in front of them, ready to release all the promises in Isaiah 61. And they'll go, dude, get away from me. You can't do that. This is the culture we're trying to build. This is why offense cannot be tolerated. And the systems for offense in your own life cannot be tolerated. They have to be recognized. Any tendency towards offense has to be repented of. And you have to get active about not being offended and not allowing offense in your life. Now, this is going to be good because the the prophetic culture that we want to build has to be a culture that is secure and safe and free. And so I'm looking forward to the day, and I want the grace of God to do it well as a pastor to be able to walk up after a, a, a brother or sister gives a prophecy, put my arm around and say, I don't think that was God. Here's why. Now, how do you do that? How do you make that judgment? I know it sounds terribly subjective. First of all, there's some concrete ways. Somebody comes up here and prophesies that uh, the Lord wants you to divorce your husband or divorce your wife. Well, that's not, that's not true. The Bible is clear about that. The Lord wants you to do some other thing that is prohibited clearly in Scripture. But it's not as simple as saying we only prophesy about things that are in the Bible. Because if we only prophesied about things that were written in the Bible, we wouldn't need prophecy. Right? We'd need Bible study. And we do need Bible study. But the Bible doesn't tell you... It didn't tell Catherine whether she should go to Mozambique. It had no way of doing that. It laid the groundwork for it, but she had to hear the voice of the Lord. And there were that were her that were relevant. Absolutely. Absolutely, that gave insight and governed those things. Now, you say, okay, first check I'm comfortable with. I'll review the Bible. And you should. That's part of judging it. Now, if you don't know the Bible, you're not a very effective judge. So you ought to read. You ought to study. You ought to be in a Bible study. You ought to build up your knowledge of what God's Word says, what the Logos says. But here's the deal. You have to take the next step. And what is that next step? And I'm suggesting the next step is you have to know how that prophecy strikes you. Now, what does that mean? I think what it means is you have to learn how to feel your spirit reacting to the spirit of that prophecy. Now, I'm not trying to give a big lesson on prophecy. I'm trying to talk about offense. But some of you are sitting there going, well, that's so subjective. There's no way that could ever be good. Well, let me give you some bad news, if that's what you think. How do you know you're saved? You said it today. You can't really stack a bunch of physical evidence out there. God took the most important transformation in your life, the most important spiritual transformation that ever existed, and that is death to life. And the Scripture says that you know you're saved because his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And anything beyond that gets you in trouble. If you try to prove to me by your righteous behavior, you'll be a Pharisee. Right? So we're stuck. We're stuck. We have got to learn to trust our spirit to confirm to us what is right and what is wrong. And doesn't it say that in Hebrews? It says, um, I think it's at the end of chapter 5 where it talks about whose senses have been trained through use to discern good from evil. And then it lists fundamental things that most churches, if they reach at all, call themselves special. And what the writer of Hebrews said is just go beyond these. These are the basics. You know, uh, uh, judgment, repentance from dead works, baptisms, laying on of hands. I think I'm missing one. Resurrection, Yeah. You know, that's like the Hall of Fame for church expression nowadays. And back then, Paul said, these are the fundamental things that you really need to get beyond as soon as you're just past the toddler stage. And if you back up a little bit, it's because you've had your senses trained to discern good and evil. So it isn't really subjective. It is how the kingdom of God works. You have the spirit of God living inside you, and that's what makes prophecy work today the way it does. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came on a prophet. And generally speaking, he spoke to a king, another one for whom the anointing was isolated. In us, we have the, pre, the prophet, the, prince, the king living in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we have to learn to do it. Now, you can see why a system like that breaks down if you get your nose out a joint every time something doesn't go your way. Nose. I did. What was the other one I used? Panties in a wad? Yeah, I did. I did use panties in a wad and I felt like the overuse of that was inappropriate. Thank you, Ronnie. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Guys, this is really, really important. This, this is deeply spiritual. This is deeply spiritual. I mean, Seriously. You have got to be a person if you come here, if you come to joyland you 've got to become a person who trusts the discernment of spirit, your own that gift in you, your ability to know the spiritual source of something, because not every prophecy you hear anywhere in the world or here probably certainly is going to be a hundred percent right or a hundred percent from the Lord. The way most churches deal with it that do invite prophecy into their midst is the way they deal with all kinds of spiritual gifts in a totally unaccountable way. Somebody, we want, to be, we want to be spiritual, so we permit spiritual gifts, but we hold no one accountable, and in the end, no one cares. No one is governed by it. No one is guided by it. We had a little bit of experience. Yeah, it does. It gets devalued because you don't take the responsibility to keep it on a spirit-to-spirit level And the way you keep things on a spirit-to-spirit level is you don't look at it in the flesh and you don't judge. Somebody's going to deliver something prophetically and they're going to have manifestations or overtones that are going to bug you you know, or awkward to you. Or they're not going to be spiritual enough sounding. Somebody's going to come up and go, well, I I don't know, I I think God's saying that that you should do this. There's going to be people that are going to prophesy with that tone, not because they're not prophesying, from the Lord, but because they're young and they're kind of nervous and they go on. We've got to grow through these processes and the way we do it is by not being offended. Okay? By not being offended. Another place that offense will keep you from reaping the benefit of the current work of God is by being offended that he doesn't do it the way you want it done or he doesn't do it the way you're used to. You know, this is one of the most amazing conversations I ever have and I have them occasionally. Especially now that the church is getting a little bit of a reputation around. Well, but when are you going to do this? I don't know. Where did that come from? Well, we used to do it that way. Well, why don't you still go there? I mean, can I be blunt? If you're happy with with the the, the growth and everything from where you came, and I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but if if you're not looking for something that leads to a more intimate relationship with Jesus and a more intimate encounter then stay where you're at and be happy. Quit complaining. But you're not. And bless God that you're not. Because the hearts of men and women all over the face of this globe are being stirred to see the face of Jesus in ways that they've not seen him in a long time. People are tired of just playing out a religious role, and they want to have an encounter with the living God. They want to read the book of Acts, and they want to see it continued next week in their life, right? They want to have an answer for a friend who is sick. They want to have an answer for somebody who is tormented with depression or tormented with their past. And the answer is Jesus as he walked among men. The answer is Jesus as he accompanied the apostles to do signs and wonders to confirm the gospel. And my friends, the answer is Jesus with us today. If we won't try to naturalize and take offense at, at the calling. One of the things, this thing about living in the past, offense keeps you from letting go, from letting go of your past. You and I all have inadequacies in our past. Let them go. They don't have to define you. You don't have to be afraid that they're going to define you. Sometimes it's dramatic, like in Shana's week last week, where there's such a clear representation of her past and such a clear impact of the favor of God on it to move you into the future. It's powerful. Yeah. And that's the point for all of us. It's still going. Let a disappointment about your life come to your mind right now. Just let it come. Now, picture... That disappointment being utterly consumed by Jesus Christ on the cross and a brand new set of resources to change the way you see, the way you think, the way you act, and the outcome of that. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. Offense is thinking about that and going, I don't know, Lord. I've prayed about that a hundred times. I don't know what the issue is. Don't think that way. Let it go. Look to Jesus and move forward. The other thing that offense does, and you can see it in a lot of people's lives, in a lot of churches' lives, is it robs you of revelation. I talked about it in in the prophetic. You can't be a prophetic culture if you're going to be offended. The other thing is you can't really be healed of your past or of anything because you keep attached to the past to either the screw-ups of the past, which get you depressed, or the glory of the past, which makes you a bore to be around. <laughs> There's no glory left in the past, people. No matter how good it was. Paul, after having started churches all over the Asian region, said, I count all these things as dung." for what? The excellency of an experiential taste and see knowledge of Jesus ahead of me. That's why we meet as a church. That's why we meet as a church. If we wanted to celebrate the past, we would form an alma mater society. Or we would, and and I don't mean any disrespect at all by this, but we'd join veterans of foreign wars or something, you know, or some old... Antique car club. Those are all okay. But that's not the church. The church is about now and tomorrow. Not about the past. Right? Not about the past. It's about now and the next now. And the next now. And the next now. And one day, the next now, and this gets me really excited. He's going to be standing in the face of Jesus. That's the path we're on. That's, and you don't want to step out of line for offense's sake. Sorry, I, I can't take that next step. Because that's what will happen. It was pointed out that David was a good repenter. He was, uh, he was the best of all the... Uh, turnaround stories about offense that we looked at because a couple of months went by and somebody told them, hey, uh, God is blessing Obed-Edom. And David went back in, and if you go back into Chronicles and you look, he figured out what he did wrong. He got the priest all together. He sanctified himself, and they did it the way God said to do it. And he brought the presence into Jerusalem. And David was a prototype of the king that lives inside of you and me. Don't separate yourself from the presence. If you have offense in your life, repent quickly. You have all the blood of Christ working in your favor to be able to do it. If you just go, I'm sorry. There's another incident I want to close with, and then we're going to get into ministry time. You know that passage of Scripture uh, where Jesus is instructing, he says, if you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember that a brother has offense against you, lay your gift down, Go be reconciled to your brother, then come back and make your offering. How many of you have heard that taught, preached, or preached at yourself that as if it were written this way? If you have an if you bring your your uh, offering, sorry, if you bring your offering to worship, and you realize that you have an offense against your brother, put your offering down and go. I've heard it preached that way a lot of times. That isn't what it says. Now let me point out why it doesn't say that because if you have an offense in your heart you will not be there worshiping you'll need somebody to get you right what you'll be is curled up in a corner somewhere having a pity party or grousing about something you will not be worshiping you'll not be bringing your offering some brother or sister who cares about you and who doesn't have an offense in their heart is going to wade into your mess with the grace of God to try to pull you out of it. And you're going to owe them a big hug and an ice cream sundae. (laughs) It's critical that we learn how important offense is and how important it is to avoid. So that's the reason, guys. That's the reason we looked at offense at this early, early stage. Because we're going to be getting into things for which you're going to need the Holy Spirit to be a comforter. That means it's going to be uncomfortable. Right? That's why he has a name like that. Right? Plus you guys too, by the way. We're going to go into things that are going to dig up stuff in you that's going to be really dark. Why? Because that darkness is going to stand between you and being a carrier of the light. That this body is designed to carry, and you're going to have a You know, the, the sister sort of of offense is shame. It's like being offended at yourself. I'm ashamed, and the reaction's exactly the same. You step out of line, so no offense. And if you'll pay attention to the shame parallel, you'll save yourself three weeks' messages <laughs> on shame. Just don't do it. There's no reason to be offended because the person on the other end of your offense is not under the law you suppose they're under, that they violated. And there's no reason for shame because the person on your side of the fence is not under the law that you think you violated either. There's no law. I'm not saying that that the Old Testament law is an expression of God's grace. I'm saying it's not a vehicle of life. Jesus on the cross has fulfilled all of that. That's why there is no shame. That's why there need be no offense. So practically, how do we avoid offense? I don't know that I have all the answers, but you can be conscious about some of the stuff we've studied about for the last three weeks. And, you can, and, and uh, I picked up a couple tips lately. Graham Cook gave me one really fantastic one reading some of his material. If somebody is behaving in a way that I'm tempted to be offended at, instead of allowing myself to rise up, remember when we talked about David's uh, offense, the the whole concept of offense means you get hot under the collar, your emotions begin to rise. Now, you're not going to be able to prevent that from happening. But when you feel that happening, instead of surrendering to that, getting offended and stepping back, what I want you to do is ask God this question. So, brother, what's your name? John. So let's say that I, let's say you want to talk to me after service. This is hypothetical. And I get busy doing something, which is very possible. And you go, geez, man, we visited the guy's church. I put something in the offering. You think the very least he could do is just say hi to me after the service, you know. And this, this thought, and then the enemy jumps in and goes, and says, oh, well, he, he recognizes you're not worth talking to. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he does, which is, of course, totally not true, brother. But you look, you look extraordinarily secure in the Lord, so that's why I'm using you as an example. So this moment comes, and you are tempted to be offended. Here's how you can get out of that. You can say, Lord, what is it that makes Larry, what does Larry believe that makes him act that way? And listen, what is it that makes that person What do they believe that makes them behave that way? And God will tell you. And you'll have something then to pray about, to love them for, to intercede for them for. What is it? And if you can think of the person that's the biggest irritation in your life right now, because all of us got them, the biggest irritation, how much of a change in your attitude towards them and dealing with them would it make if you asked that question, literally from the Lord? Rather than allowing that to get above the collar line, and turn into an offense in your heart, you said, Lord, would you show me what do they believe about themselves or about me or whatever that makes them behave that way? That was, a, I thought, a pretty cool, something to do. So that's what I, I try to practice in that, that respect. Other things is, uh, and I don't really like this one as well, but a lot of times people will say, well, you know, uh, you've done a lot worse. Now, it's true, and I have the capacity to do worse than anything any of you could ever do to me. Lord, show me that. In and of my flesh, there dwells no good thing. And so if I give in to my flesh, I can behave more badly than you could ever behave toward me. And so you can do that, but the reason I don't like doing that is it forces you to go back and think about that in your life, and I think it's kind of yucky. So what I would say would be great was to say, look what I've been delivered from. You don't even have to catalog it. You just realize, wow, I'm free to not be offended. So I can intercede for this brother or sister, pray for them, preach the blood over them, you know, quietly, silently. There's just tools, and I don't, like I say, I don't know them all. But if you're conscious about the fact that you cannot afford to entertain offense. And sometimes it might just be, wow, that really irritates me, but I'm not really willing to give up either the presence of the Lord or fruitfulness or revelation (laughs) or any of that. And so I'll just... (sighs) Yeah, there you go. And that is really what Jesus said when the disciples asked for to pray. So, does that make sense? Foundationally, we cannot be a culture that entertains offense, and parallel to that, we cannot be a culture that backs up or shrinks back because of shame. Because Jesus covered it all. Absolutely. All right. Let's pray and then let's have some ministry time. Father, I thank you. <laughs> oh Lord. The first time we, uh, we looked at this, Father, we ended with a brief, brief look at how, how much potential for offense against your holiness, an offense against your love, could have come. But you chose not. Instead you took an extraordinary action in the person of your son to overcome every source of offense. And then you said that amazing statement when John's disciples came with that question, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And so, Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you reveal anything in our lives that is offended towards you and that we would just simply repent for that. And when we go to the ministry time, if we need help repenting for that, if we just need somebody else to agree with us that I'm laying this thing down absolutely right now and I need the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit to clean it out of me, to pull it out of me, to cut it out of me, to drag it out of me, however deeply rooted it is. I pray that you would lead us one to another to simply agree. And your word says that if two agree is touching anything, it will be done for them. It also says to confess your faults one to another, that you may be healed. It says to walk in the light as he is in the light. And his blood will keep on cleansing you. And so, Lord, if anybody in here has a root of offense, tonight is the night that we begin to be an offense-free people. We'll use your blood. We'll use the fellowship, the confession, the light. But we'll walk out of this room tonight, and I really ask you in Jesus' name, don't leave carrying an offense of any type not even an offense against yourself in the form of shame. Tonight will be the night we'll begin a course of freedom. Tonight will be the night we will begin to ramp up exponentially the fruitfulness in our life because it will not be hindered or blocked by offense. Tonight will be the night, in the name of Jesus, that we will experience Not just a touch of the presence and not just an encounter with the presence of God when we come to church, but when this offense thing is dealt with in your life tonight, you will walk out those doors, get in your car, and be stunned by the magnitude of the presence of God in your car. You will walk in your home, which may in fact up to this point have been a place of strife, and you will be flabbergasted that God is willing to manifest his presence right when you walk through the door. And so, Lord, I ask that you lead us to minister one to another and set us free. And I speak over you, freedom from offense. Freedom from offense. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We have a few minutes before we need to go get the kids. And so I would... Gosh, I actually thought about trying to do a fire tunnel for this, but I think people need personal ministry on it maybe. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. So would you take over? Yeah. That'd be good.
1: Um, How many of you know the enemy likes darkness? And that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And so I'm going to ask you to take a bold step, because um, the righteous are as bold as a lion. All right, and I I just would like if you have been struggling with an offense, meaning you've been trying to forgive the person or <laughs> trying to release them, or it's just been a struggle for you, right? Or I also sense that there's some people that have been. This is kind of the uh, kind of related in some way um, it, that there's a spirit of rejection that likes to attach itself to this too. All right, right. Um, And so if you've been just struggling with feelings of rejection, as well as feelings of having, you know, just trouble forgiving someone, I would like you just to slip your hand out, okay? Be honest about that, okay? That's the first step to freedom, really, it is, and that's okay, because I, just to make you feel more comfortable, how many of us at some point in their life have struggled with this, okay? Okay, all right, so I don't want anyone in here to feel ashamed because they're having the struggle with this, okay? But if that is you, and you're ready. You're ready to just let this thing go once and for all and walk out of here free from that. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to stand up and slip into the aisle. Just stand up there because we're going to pray with you. Okay? All right. All right, that's one group of people. All right? Now, there's, one, there's just another, one more thing that I feel like the Lord is highlighting. And this is a, a people that seem to be trapped by some painful memories. Or um, just their past in general. Maybe there was a painful traumatic thing that happened to you that you have not been able to get rid of. If you were involved in some kind of trauma, there was a traumatic event, and the Lord is ready to just erase that and get rid of that too. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay? Okay? One person, one person still in the aisle. Okay? There's some, okay? If there's other people that that relates to, if you could just, if you have a traumatic event, I'd actually like you to come up here, okay? We'll cover the offense and the traumatic event together, but that's kind of a different, little bit of a different animal, so I just wanna, if it's a traumatic event, be bold, amen? We're not gonna, be bold, we're not gonna, we're really, truly, we'll let you stand with, face this way, we'll let you st- face this way, if it makes you feel more comfortable. Come on, I saw a couple of breeze their ha- people raise their hand. Traumatic event that you need help with, okay? I, you know this is okay. It's okay to have a traumatic event. It, get up here, if you had a traumatic, I mean, okay, tra- traumatic events happen. Okay, we love you. We want to. We want to be a part of helping you get free from that thing tonight. Okay. All right. Now, everybody, right now, that's in your seat. Okay. I want you to ask the Lord. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Just to put highlight. We call it a highlight. Okay. It's like the Lord takes out his highlighter and just highlights a person. I want the Lord to ask the Lord just to highlight a person to you that you are supposed to come up and lay your hands on. The, the folks that are in the aisles here, why don't you guys come up front here and just do a single file line right here so we can have plenty of room to get, get our get our hands on you. Okay? So let's just right now. What okay. What we're gonna do, okay, is the rest of us that are sitting in the audience, you're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to highlight a person to you that you are to go and pray with. You're going to lay your hands on them and you are going to pray for them. If you don't get a highlight, that's fine. If you don't have anything specific, you know what you can do? You can stay there in your seat and you can intercede for these people up here and the people that are praying for them, okay? All right? Now, as you get that highlight, one thing to be aware of is the Lord may show you some kind of picture or some kind of, you may not even know what it means, but if you're getting that for someone or the, the Lord is highlighting someone, I want you to come on up. So let's just pray that. Father, I just thank you right now that where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And so, Lord, we loose that spirit in this place right now. And, Father, I thank you for anointing your body, anointing your body with a spirit of deliverance right now. And, Father, as we come forward, I thank you that Jesus came to set the captives free, is going to be operating right here in our midst through, through this body. Yes, God. And Lord, we just now ask you to give us a highlight of the person that you would like us to lay hands on and minister to in the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Praise God. Yes, God. You know what, Teresa, could you just come up and play a little bit here?
0: And I want to encourage you that when Shalise is talking about a highlight, we're not talking a 140,000-volt spotlight necessarily. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have a hard time seeing ourselves being used and acting on that prompt you'll see the highlight mm-hmm. you'll feel yeah. stirred toward that person yeah. get up
1: and just come on up and go ahead and go ahead and move go ahead and move if you've gotten a highlight for a person just come on up and move and just begin to pray over them and just release the presence of God Amen.